morning, everybody. So uh, can you hear me? I think I got this thing on. Yeah, this is new to me. I'm not used to standing up here in front of all of you. I sit in a class and I teach. <sighs> so thanks, everybody. Uh, like I said, I do teach here. I've been doing this for probably about 10 years or so. So this is a first for me standing up here in front of all of you trying to read off notes. And we'll see how this goes. But thank you, Jeff, for the introduction. Um, Jeff briefed last time that we are going to start a, service, a sermon on the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are part of a much larger sermon that Jesus gave when he was a Sermon on the Mount. Prior to that, we had seen in the book of Matthew, John the Baptist preaching as a precursor to Jesus. And Jesus, like John the Baptist, preached a very simple message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The people had been following the law and rabbinic traditions for centuries and were weighed down in the hopelessness of self-righteous acts and an inability to see how they could ever enter God's kingdom. Jesus' focus was to get people to recognize their hopelessness and give them a hope of something better. Man's sinful condition separated him from God and self-righteous acts were insufficient to bridge the chasm to God. Jesus and John preached the radical gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone and Jesus as the only way to enter this kingdom. Jesus' sermon, when you look at it in totality, is the gospel message of how the lost enter the kingdom and how we live as a citizen in this kingdom. So we're going to start in the Beatitudes. I'm going to pray first, show a quick video from The Chosen, and then we'll kick off this first Beatitude of being poor in spirit. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for all those who are here. You've called each one here individually as you've have you seen fit. And thank you that I'm here for some strange reason, Father. It's... Uh, Definitely different, but uh, thank you for this ability to teach. And I just ask you to fill me from head to toe with your spirit and let my words be your words, Father. Let it reach somebody out here that needs to hear it. And uh, at best, Father, just let it edify the body and let us learn something from it to see who we are in Christ and how we go from there. I give this time to you and uh, just speak through me, Father. Ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Tim, can you play the video, please? Matthew. Matthew. Bye-bye. I've got it. The opening? Yes. What is it? A map. The what? Directions. Where people should look to find me. Okay. Give me a moment. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. 
for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. One thing I love about this video is how they portrayed Jesus turning to Matthew and looking directly at him and basically telling him that these beatitudes we're talking about is something that applies to you. It's, it's, a, it's actually very powerful the way they did that, and I, and I absolutely love that part of the scene. Again, like, that, that was from The Chosen. If you haven't seen The Chosen, by all means, I recommend watching it. It's a, uh, it's a very good series and definitely will help bolster your faith. So as a background, kind of cover a little bit of things Jeff covered last week before we get into this. And we see this is now Matthew 4, or Matthew 4 going into Matthew 5, where Jesus is giving his sermon on a mountainside in Galilee about a year and a half into his earthly ministry with a large, large crowd of people anxious to hear what the rabbi has to teach. Most of this crowd consisted of Jewish men, women, yet there were probably a bunch of scribes, Pharisees, Jewish leadership there, and there were probably a bunch of Gentiles. Uh, you can kind of see in, I think it's in season three with the episode, they have Roman soldiers standing there as well, just kind of keeping the peace. This is very typical of Jesus and all of his ministry. It's not just to the Jews, it's to the Gentiles as well. Okay. That is just a reminder to us as we start off these Beatitudes. They are not just for Jews. It is for Gentiles and people who do not know Christ. So Jesus sat on the mountain like Moses on Mount Sinai, offering a new law for a new kingdom. Moses gave a law to Israel, and it showed man how wretched he was when compared to the perfect standard of God, yet it provided a way to become righteous, if you could keep every aspect of that, which everybody in this room knows we could not, and only Jesus could. Here, Jesus, sitting on a mountain as well, is going to give a new law, one that supersedes the old, one that shows us how to live as a citizen of God's kingdom with all the ceremonial and sacrificial requirements, because God has fulfilled them on our behalf, is a law of love. This is where Jesus is going to take us in a sermon on the mount, but he has to start somewhere, and that somewhere is those who are poor in spirit. Uh, Tim, can you put the verses up, please? So verses five, one, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 3. Seeing the crowd, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to dig into this first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. If anybody has ever been in any of my classes or teachings, this will not surprise you. Words mean things. We're going to go over a few of these words so you can understand what is actually going on with this, with this beatitude in particular. Jeff mentioned last week this word beatitude. It's not in the Bible per se, but it, it covers the group of all these sayings here that Jesus is going to cover from here to being salt and light. And the word just means blessings. We see this, every, every one of these beatitudes, these blessings, start with, blessed, be, blessed are you, fill in the blank. 
The word blessing just simply means happy or joyful. As Warren Wiersbe puts it, it's an inner inner satisfaction and sufficiency that does not depend on outward circumstances. Another word you can use here if you really wanted to would be contentment. So Jesus is going to teach us about the blessings associated with his kingdom and the mindset of of the citizens of his kingdom. With these definitions, you can actually rephrase any one of these beatitudes as happy or joyful are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But before we do that, I want to go over how all these beatitudes relate to each other. And this is going to be the overarching theme of how we go through the beatitudes. And this is where we see what we're going to call the roadmap. Their beatitudes in their immediate context show, some, show how someone enters the kingdom of heaven and how they are to live as kingdom citizens. So one thing also I liked about this video, he actually comes up to Matthew and says, this is a map, the directions. It's where people should look to find me, speaking of Jesus. The starting point is being poor in spirit. We recognize our condition and mourn over our hopelessness without God. We become meek, humble. Uh, we become meek and we humble ourselves before God. We sacrifice our pride and we hunger and thirst for the righteousness only God can provide. Once we believe and trust in God, the Spirit begins to renew our mind and change us into something, someone who acts as a kingdom citizen, someone who is merciful, someone who is pure in heart, and someone who is a peacemaker. As we live this way, we come into conflict with the world system, and we are persecuted for righteousness' sake as we live as salt and light in this world. This is the pattern for all who have come or will ever come to enter the kingdom of heaven, but it has to start somewhere. So we have to ask our question, ourselves first, who is Jesus talking about when he says, who are the poor in spirit? I've got to throw a little Greek in here. I know we don't, Frank's gone, we don't get the Greek too much, but we get, there are two very important things here, and we talk about being poor in spirit. The two words in the Greek for the word poor, one is the word penes. As you hear the word, you can kind of imagine we get the word penne from the word in our English. It is used in the sense of someone who has to work daily for sustenance. They work, they earn a day's wage, they spend it to survive, they go back out and do the same thing over and over and over and over again. They live, essentially, day to day. The second word for, for poor is the word tokas or tokia. This is a word that is referring to a beggar, somebody destitute of wealth, living in abject poverty, lacking everything or even the capability of earning something. That's the word that's used here. We are tokas. We have nothing We live in abject poverty as a beggar. We have no means of earning a living, and we are totally reliant on others to survive. And this goes directly against what the world tells us we should seek. Keeping that imagery in mind, Jesus is not talking talking about being poor in material things. The problem is internal, not external. It's a heart matter. If this verse actually did speak about material poorness or material wealth, then prosperity gospel teachers like Joel Osteen and and many others like him would have a serious problem. They teach that as children of God, we should be wealthy because God blesses his children in this way. This teaching is patently wrong and is not what Jesus teaches here. Jesus is not speaking of material wealth. He's talking about a heart condition. God tells us what kind of heart he desires in passages like Psalm 51 verse 17, which says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And he also says something similar in Isaiah 57, 15. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble 
and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God does not seek a proud heart. God does not seek a rich heart in this sense. He seeks those with humble, repentant hearts. So the poor in spirit are those who recognize their spiritual poverty and there is something missing in their lives. They have no resources in and of themselves, and as a beggar, they have to rely on the generosity of others to survive. They are dead in their sins and trespasses and have no hope of escaping their position without God. The New Living Translation paints the picture perfectly as it translates verse 3 and says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. All through his earthly ministry, Jesus continuously, continually rebuked the Jewish leaders because they believed they had earned salvation and entrance into God's kingdom by their own self-righteousness. Their hearts were prideful and they were anything but poor in spirit. A perfect example of this condition is the parable we see in Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. And it says, Now he, has, he also told the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and view, viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and another a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and began praying this in regard to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, crooked, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to raise his eyes toward heaven. But he was beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other one, for everyone who exhausts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be, will be crushed. Here we see a Pharisee in his self-righteous pride thanking God he is not like the tax collector. If you've ever read any of the Gospels, this should not surprise you. The tax collector, in his spiritual poverty, is the exact opposite, begging for spiritual, for spiritual mercy from God, and he recognizes himself as a sinner. The king, in this case, who is God, sees those with the heart like a tax collector, the one begging for grace and mercy, and makes an offer that no one else can make. Become a citizen of my kingdom, and I will provide all you will ever need. Jesus will soon tell us in his sermon that God provides to the birds of the air and we are of more value to God than them. This is the calling we've been waiting for. Jesus tells us that these are the people he came for as he reads his mission statement in Luke 4, which says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty of the cap- to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He came to preach the gospel to the spiritually poor and offer them the only way into the kingdom, which is through him. Yet, even if we recognize our condition, our pride will try to stop us from ever showing our face to the king or truly acknowledging this offer is legitimate. The beggar scenario here is the imagery you get is that beggar is one who is so destitute that they don't need, they have, their pride gets in the way and they don't even want to show themselves to beg. They want to hide in the corner, hide in, hide in the darkness, and just ride it out. So here, we see that either we continue as if nothing is wrong, or we want to hide and cower in the corner and don't face the problem. God doesn't give us that option. In order to enter his kingdom, we must recognize our need, overcome our pride, prostrate ourselves before the king in abject poverty, accept his mercy and grace, and submit ourselves and become totally reliant on him. This is like the bond servants we see in the Old Testament, where they willingly place themselves after a period of time in servitude, placed themselves under the care of the master who provided everything for them and willingly entered his household. That is the condition of this individual and the recommended outcome of it. 
John Stott says it this way, To be poor in spirit is to acknowledge our spiritual poverty, indeed our spiritual bankruptcy before God. We are sinners under the holy wrath of God and deserve nothing but the judgment of God. We have nothing to offer, nothing to plead, nothing with which to buy the favor of heaven. We do not belong anywhere except alongside the publican in Jesus' parable, crying out with downcast eyes, God, be merciful to me as a sinner. As Calvin wrote, he only who is reduced to nothing in himself and relies on the mercy of God is poor in spirit. So now that we've identified who the poor in spirit are, they inherit something, and they inherit this thing called the kingdom of heaven. So we have to identify now what the kingdom of heaven is. It's interesting that Matthew is the only writer in the Gospels to use this phrase. If you look at similar passages in Mark and Luke and even in John, they use the word kingdom, phrase kingdom of heaven. There are some people that make a distinction between the two. I do not see a distinction here. To me, they are both exactly the same. And when you look at Matthew 19, verses 23 to 24, he uses both terms synonymously with the exact same thing. So if you've heard the term kingdom of God, or I say the kingdom of God here, it means the exact same thing. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the exact same thing. So what is a kingdom? A kingdom is an area under control of a ruler, whether they be a king, a Caesar, an emperor, etc. This is God's kingdom, and this is what he is offering to the poor in spirit. This is what the Jews had sought for centuries, and, and this, is what they placed themselves on, this is why they placed themselves under the yoke of the law. They truly desired to be citizens of God's kingdom, spoken in Scripture, and they would do, nothing, and they would do anything to get there. Now Jesus, this outcast rabbi, offered them the desire of their heart and the way to get there. There's one thing we need to cover before we continue, and, and what is, that is what it, this kingdom is. God's kingdom is many facets. One being a future millennial kingdom that we see in the book of Revelation and other places in the Old Testament where Christ will rule or the Messiah will rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. And that kingdom will continue into eternity. This is one facet of the kingdom. But it's not necessarily the one in view here. We go back to the message of John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that implies that the kingdom of heaven is here now. The kingdom of heaven in this respect is Jesus. We see the kingdom is both internal and external. So how do we harmonize these two truths? John MacArthur puts it very simply. The kingdom of heaven is the sphere of influence where Christ reigns. It's that simple. Whether he is literally here reigning on this earth as the ruler or he's reigning in our hearts as believers because we've put ourselves under his, submitted ourselves to him. This is the promise given to the poor in spirit and it is an immediate fulfillment once we become a citizen of God's kingdom. So how does this apply to a believer? The first application to a believer is we remember. We remember where we came from. Paul reminds us that we were strangers and aliens, far from God and dead in our sins, but God. You see this all through Ephesians and many other places. We need to remember where we came from because it's all God and none of me. I was poor in spirit and I mourned over my condition so I hungered and thirsted for righteousness and found that righteousness only in Christ Jesus. I pray without ceasing and seek God's provision in all things as a beggar would. As Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, the grace of our Lord is exceedingly abundant and he gives of his riches freely. We are truly blessed when we recognize we have nothing and can do nothing in and of ourselves and we humbly go before the King of Kings for our daily sustenance or our daily bread. It is none of me and all of him. Therefore, I am blessed because I receive what I don't deserve, and he gets the glory for all of it. Secondly, 
Jesus calls us to live as a citizen of God's kingdom. We are not supposed to live as citizens of Satan's kingdom because he has removed us from that kingdom and accepted us into his. Scripture gives us two examples of poverty in Jesus' letter to the churches in Revelation. The first, excuse me, the first is the church at Smyrna. The church at Smyrna in Revelation 2 is where Jesus, who is, these seven letters are where Jesus is diagnosing, diagnosing seven churches from the letter to the Ephesians all the way to the Laodiceans. And the church at Smyrna, he is diagnosed as a church that is physically poor, yet spiritually rich and faithful through the persecution to the end. That is the condition Jesus wants us in. The second church, in contrast, is the church at Laodicea. And Jesus tells them they are physically rich, but spiritually poor, and they need to go buy gold from Jesus to be zealous and to repent. The church at Laodicea relied on themselves, not God. They did not see themselves as the, beggarly, the ones in the beggarly conditions where we had to humble ourselves and submit to God and seek his sustenance daily. We are to live as if we are poor in spirit, so we remain humble and reliant on the, on the only one who can provide for all of our needs. We must allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds and focus our hearts on Christ as we commune with him and we walk in faith. Uh, Tim, can you put up the last slide, please? So this is a picture. Jeff will recognize this one. This is actually when we went to India five years ago. I can't believe it's been five years already. It's almost exactly five years. I think it was in February. This is, uh, we went out there to teach on the book of Daniel uh, in support of the, the pastors out there. And you can see these are some of the pastors. You kinda, it's, it's a little bit larger room. The picture doesn't do it justice, but the wives are sitting off on the side. And, and we're teaching in the book of Daniel. And you see here that this is, this is in India. This is a, a governmental system that is a caste system. It's a system where if you're not of the, are the rich, materially rich class, you are ostracized. If you are the untouchables, you're even further ostracized. These individuals here are, were coming like days on, on end to go back and forth to their house churches, as we've seen in some of the pictures Jeff, Jeff and the elders have put up for years. These individuals are materially poor by our standards. But they probably dwarf us by being spiritually rich. This is, I, I played a video, but I think the video is too loud with them playing music and singing. Jeff understands what I'm saying here. You probably heard him as well. But the entire week, they were, it, it was a blessing to all of us, listening to them, watching them, and seeing the problem, listening to the problems, even praying with them. Material wealth has nothing to do with you being a citizen of God. God cares about the heart. He cares about being spiritually rich. And he is the only one that can provide it. So I want to close with this last application to the believer. The last application is this beatitude does not apply to a believer in its direct context. We are no longer poor in spirit. We are rich in Christ. We are no longer beggars. We are sons of the Father, and we are royalty in God's kingdom. We may feel poor in spirit because we've sinned, or God appears distant, or that the world has taken our joy. Satan and our flesh seek to sow seeds of doubt about how much Father loves us and who we are in Christ. These are only feelings that are not truth. The truth is that Christ is closer than a brother, that neither Jesus nor the Father can lose us from his grasp, and that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. His indwelling spirit renews our minds so we remember who we are in Christ and what he has given us. In Ephesians, Paul tells us that in Christ we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are holy and blameless. We are accepted, we have an inheritance, and we are redeemed and forgiven according to the riches of his grace. As citizens of God's kingdom, 
The king has given us all we will ever need through Christ, and we will never be without resources again. This is what we remember as we celebrate communion. Because of Christ and his blood, we are no longer who we once were, nor do we stand where we once stood. By his grace and mercy, he has dealt with us, dealt, indwelt us with his spirit, and we will never be poor in spirit again. So, Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for what we're going to celebrate here shortly. We thank you for all that your son has done for us. We thank you for his blood, and we thank you for accepting that on, the, on our behalf for the new covenant. We thank you for, we just thank you, Father. It's, we, can't, we can be here forever just thanking you. And it's all because of your son and what he did on our behalf. And we thank you that we are no longer in this condition. We are so much better off. We are in your kingdom. And I tell she's fathers to speak to our hearts and speak to our minds and let us truly believe that and live that way. That's just the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.